Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our World Risk Register Threat Monitoring Service. These podcasts are released on a weekly basis, covering timely and relevant topics. In these discussions, we hope to shed light on evolving scenarios and provide actionable predictions and implications. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Hello and welcome to another Sibylline podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the upcoming European Parliament elections, taking place from the 23rd to 26th of May. And with me to share his insights on this topic is our senior Europe analyst, Matt Sikowski. So Matt, looking first at the potential outcome of the elections, what are the latest opinion polls telling us? So the most recent opinion polls uh, have been showing for a while now that the two main centrist blocs in the European Parliament will lose their overall 50% majority, while Eurosceptic parties will secure over 33% of the vote in the European Parliament for the first time, which will to an extent frustrate policymaking. Now, the largest of the two main centrist blocs is the centre-right European People's Party, or EPP, which consists of 55 national parties across the EU and is traditionally led by the CDU-CSU of Angela, German Chancellor Angela Merkel. The second of these mainstream centrist blocs is the socialist SND bloc, which consists of 37 left-wing parties, which is now led by the German SPD party, which is Angela Merkel's coalition partner in Germany. Aside from these two main blocs, there's the Alde, Alde faction, which is a liberal party, which has entered into a tentative coalition with French President Emmanuel Macron. And I say tentative because the, the, the name liberal is, is a bit of a controversial word in France because it's associated with capitalism. Now, on the, on the other end of the spectrum, the Eurosceptic parties are a lot more fragmented. There are four groupings in the European Parliament, which include conservative, far-right and far-left parties. The four largest of these is the Italian Liga, the Polish PIS party, the Five Star Movement in Italy, and the Rassemblement National in France, which is the, which is the party of Marine Le Pen. Now, these, these, these groupings are united by kind of anti-establishment streak, but can be quite divided on very specific issues, such as migration, where, where the Polish and Italian anti-migrant parties have very different stance, for example. Okay, so it looks like there's potential for quite a notable change in composition. What, what does this mean? What do you think will happen in the immediate aftermath of the election? So the elections will kickstart the process of appointing the new European elections. Now, that is quite a, quite a complicated process and requires an absolute majority in the European Parliament. Now, at the beginning of the process, we will have the remaining 27 member states of the European Union who will select a candidate to lead the Commission. After that, each member state will propose an individual commissioner to whom then the presidency candidate assigns a portfolio to which the candidate will then oversee in the future European Commission. And each commissioner, as well as the Commission as a whole, will then need approval from the European Parliament. Now, there is, there is a degree of uncertainty around, around the compos- composition of the future Commission for several reasons. The main, main is that it's a very politicised process on both the state level and the EU level. For example, although the individual commissioners are supposed to represent the EU rather than their member states from where they've, who, who, who appointed them, that is rarely the case. That is always a degree of, of uh, loyalty towards the individual government, although not, not, not in every case. The other case uh, of politicization is that there is a, there is a significant degree of trade-offs between individual, individual parties. Uh, where, for example, certain posts in the European Commission could be traded off for posts in the European Central Bank, which is, again, due to, due to be reappointed at, in, in, in autumn this year. So 
what this means is that the European Union will have to take a much, much, um, will have to take in account a much broad range of views in appointing the next European, European Commission. So then looking further forward, what are the longer term implications here? What are we likely to be seeing in terms of policy risks for European companies? Will these become elevated? So the main impact, or the main message rather, is that although there's been, there's been talk about the EU you know, almost falling apart in, in some circles, that, that, will, that will prove unfounded, although EU policymaking will face a couple of new challenges. The, the main line here is that the European Commission will, will suffer from a degree of paralysis because it will need, to, need support from a much wider range of parties for its regulations in the European Parliament. For example, if the current opinions, opinion polls prove right, it will need the support of both the centrist parties, but also newly, additionally, either support from the Liberals or the Greens, and from either of those two parties, if, if the Commission wants to avoid relying on either the Eurosceptic parties of the far left or the far right. And that means there's going to be a lot of, a lot of uncertainty around um, the individual portfolios, as we said, where, for example, the competition commissioner is a particularly important post, where the current Danish commissioner, um, Margaret Feisteger, who holds the post right now, uh, recently rejected the, the merger between Siemens and Alstom, for example, which sparked an angry reaction from France and Germany, uh, and there is now a proposal on the table which could potentially give member states a veto of further competition decisions, uh, and thus reduce the power of the competition commissioner. This will be debated at the upcoming EU summit in March. And similar decisions we could expect in the long term as well. Okay, so what is the likely impact here on specific policies? Specifically on each policy, the, the impact will depend on the unity of the mainstream parties, the extent to which they will be able to um, present a united front. Migration is perhaps the most, most divisive issue um, of them all. Just yesterday, on the 20th of February, EU member states agreed a common position on Frontex, which is the EU border agency, um, and they, the, the, the member states will now negotiate um, a kind of framework with the European Parliament. But because of contract influence, influences from the, um, from the individual member states, there, there will probably be no, no major change. For example, the current, current negotiating mandate which, which the EU member states reached says that they will pursue a small standing force which would support member states but will only act with their explicit permission. However, on, on specific trade deals, for example, that, that we, we could see uh, a great, greater degree of frustration coming from the European Parliament. The European Parliament now has a veto power on all trade deals that the EU agrees uh, and that veto can be levied with a 50% majority. Now, th that again underlines the point that, that the unity of the centrist book will be, will be decisive in, in pushing these, these proposals forward. And ultimately, the, the election will probably make it harder for the EU to agree on large free trade ag agreements. Another, another interesting aspect is the, is the EU budget. Now, the European Parliament doesn't actually have much real power to, to block the, the EU budget on its own, but because of, of its ability to, to block Article 7 procedures, which is the rule of law procedures currently being, being activated against Poland and Hungary, it could, it could make it much harder to clamp down on, on corruption and other governance issues and could embolden both Poland and Hungary and other, other um, countries struggling with these issues, such as Romania. And there could be other, other, other impacts which would be probably a bit more cosmetic. So, for example, the European Parliament could frustrate common, policy, common, common foreign policy positions, uh, particularly on Russia, but again, because of its limited power, it will not affect issues like sanctions. 
and that they, there could be more influence for Eurosceptic parties over appointments in parliamentary committees. But again, that, that would only, only delay rather than block legislation. Okay, and how about the broader European operating environment? What impact are the elections likely to have here? So there are two main impacts in this sense. Uh, first is that the European elections could provide a bit of an opportunity for unstable governments to organise early, early or snap elections. Of these, of course, we, we are now in a period where Spain will soon be holding snap elections. Other, other than that, Greece is probably the most likely country to, to, to hold early elections because of issues relating to the Macedonian name deal. But again, this would require a significant domestic trigger as Prime Minister Tsipras continues to use this issue for kind of political benefit for which he will need more time. So there is no interest there to kind of move the, move the date forward. And if anything, he would, he would like to move it further back. Italy is another potential candidate because the coalition between the Liga and the Five Star Movement there is becoming increasingly strained because of regional elections recently, where, where the Five Star Movement suffered a symbolic defeat in a southern region of Abruzzo. And there's going to be other elections similar to, to, to that election in Sardinia and in Basilicata. But again, this would require a major trigger, potentially in the form of a large, large corruption affair, which could implicate the Liga, Liga Party. Other than that, the coalition will probably remain quite stable. On a more tactical level, the election will, will definitely provide a boost to anti-establishment parties, particularly the German AFD and the French RN, and, and could feed into political theme process. But again, this is largely part of current trends rather than a, a significant change. Okay, so it seems there's lots to watch out for here in the months ahead, with perhaps a broad unifying theme of increasing anti-establishment sentiments across Europe. Thank you very much, Matt, for sharing your thoughts on this topic. If we've raised any further questions here today, please don't hesitate to get in touch and we'll be happy to help. Thank you for listening and we hope you have found this podcast useful. If you would like to learn more about our services or if you have any questions or feedback, please get in touch at info at